0: This is Trust the Evidence, a new podcast series from the Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine at the University of Oxford, presenting conversations with individuals interested in improving health care through the use of better evidence.
1: Okay, I have Fiona Godley with me, editor of the BMJ Journal. Hi, Carl. Welcome. Now, look, um, I'm really interested in what does it mean to be a, an editor of a journal? What does that mean to you?
0: Well, and a, a journal is a kind of tool, in a way, I've, I've become to realise. It, it's a, it's obviously, people think of it as a, as a collection of articles in, in print and then online, and people send us their stuff, and we're in this lucky position of being in receipt of all this wonderful stuff. The journal has the ability to, to change things, and without wanting to claim too much for it, you, there are certain things the journal can do, and I think one of those things is begin to change the culture. And there's so many things wrong with the healthcare and research culture at the moment, many things right as well, but a lot of things that are wrong and need changing. And I am aware of the combination of research, journalism, education, opinion, comment, um, the convening power of a journal, which allows us to um, identify things that are wrong and begin to offer up solutions and also change what we do. Uh, if we walk the walk as well as talk the talk, uh, like with patient partnership, like with the conflicts of interest policies, Um, With our transparency policies where we begin to say we are doing things differently because we think the world should do things differently So that's some of the fun about being an editor of a journal Uh,
1: Interesting, I might come back to you on some of that, let's just go back in time then So if I was, you, you trained as a doctor, I'm right? Yeah Yeah, I'm not going to go back to the year, that might upset you But let's think about if you were, what was it that motivated you to get into journals and thinking about being in journals in the first place?
0: It was a bit of an accident, if I'm honest, and I always never wanted to leave medicine. I I come from a medical family, and I have always wanted to be a doctor, and I was a general medical registrar and was going into general medicine. Um, General medicine itself was disappearing as a specialty, sadly, at the time, and I I didn't really want to specialise. So at that time, the idea of spending a year at the BMJ came up, and that year was so, so interesting, and then a second year, well, my registrar job was kept open. and So it was a kind of accidental, gradual thing. And then, then the thing about certainly the BMJ as a journal is is the breadth and the uh, very intriguing mix of um, the academic side, the science side, and the, the journalism, which I found very captivating. A hugely interesting group of people you work with both inside the journal and the, the wide range of people we connect with outside. So.
1: I, I've spoken to quite a lot of people about this. When you talk about and we, we talk a lot about leadership and, and when you look at people like yourself or people who are in, in high performing jobs, it often looks like they had a highly structured career that actually just planned it all out and they thought my plan is to be EBM or BMJ editor and that's what I'll be. And you, you said to me it's a complete accident. Well, what were some of the biggest accidents that happened to you in that, that time?
0: Um, I mean, I don't know, your, has your career been very planned? My, I, I think it, it is, it is, it is a, a, a mix of, you know, you, you put your energy into the thing that's enjoyable and I think that, that's the best thing to do mm-hmm. and work hard and fulfil the, the, the needs of whatever job you're in um, and then be open to opportunity. And I suppose there are a few courageous steps, if you like, um, that people take. And in my case, um, you might have said it was courageous or... or, or unusual to step out of, of clinical medicine and do this one year at the BMJ. It seemed um, very much a one-year confined thing, uh, but in the process of doing that, with a view to going back into medicine, I discovered a whole new world that I hadn't realised existed.
1: And in that period there's been huge transitions. We've gone from a world where print was at the fore and BMJ was one of the first journals to go online, and then we've gone into a world where it's social media, it's ever-changing. So there must be sometimes you, you think, wow, I've got to keep changing and adapting all the time. Is that fair to say as an editor?
0: Definitely keep changing and adapting, but what's interesting is the, the sort of core values and the core skills, I think, have remained relatively unchanged. So, um, and, and luckily, because it's a team-based sport, editing, um, and I have a, a big and wonderful team, You, you, you your own skill set may not keep up with the changes, but you bring in, you know, new... Um, usually younger, but not always. People who have these new skills—digital skills, social media skills—and I think you, the main thing is is to keep open to that, and uh, meanwhile hang on to those those traditional values, if you like, which are certainly at the BMJ: transparency, accountability, integrity. Um, we have brought in new things like patient partnership. Um, think things that that seem seem to. Be important to reflect what 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 needs to change in, in healthcare as a whole.
1: So that's really interesting. How does then you said patient partnership? You said these important words like transparency, integrity. How do you get a new initiative? How does a new initiative arrive at the BMJ? Is it you suddenly walk into work one day, or is there something happening in the in the in the water? What happens at the BMJ for a new initiative to emerge?
0: Um, I think I think that it's people really. So. Um, I've learned that that uh, trusting people is about, it, there is a human instinct about who to trust, both in terms of their integrity and the, the, the value of their idea. Um, I don't know how else to put it, you know, people who over time have shown themselves to be um, to be in touch with what needs to happen. And uh, I'm just just using the example of patient partnership. Very lucky to have Tessa Richards as, a, as an editor on the journal. She was here before I joined. She's a, a multiply qualified FRCP, um, a GP as well. Uh, she herself has been a patient and a carer for her, members of her family who've been ill. And she has had a whole career within the GBMJ. And, this issue about the failure of medicine to put patients at the centre of what it does and research also um, is so burning in her and you know you only have to talk to her for five minutes to suddenly realise this is something we've, we've absolutely got to do. So there's the recognition of that, the rightness of it, and then the fact that you have someone like Tessa who can in, engage other people and, and build a strategy around that um, and my job really was simply to say go and go ahead and, and to give her the, 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 the scope and the headroom and the, the resourcing to do that.
1: So let's take just a couple of thoughts. One thing for me is you said transparency, okay. That's a really important issue and if you'd have said to me 15 years ago, I'd have said journals are the bastion of transparency. And now here we are in an area where we're seeing often journals are just a small snippet of all the evidence that exists around say for instance a clinical trial, the European Medicines Agency has clinical study reports. How do journals stay relevant when they're under attack saying actually you're almost part of the problem if mm, you like? Mm.
0: Well I, I think journals are part of the problem and it, it's very hard to um, entirely see a way forward or, or away from that because we're so embedded in the kind of culture of credit, the, the, the academic credit, academic um, uh, accountability sort of exists within the journal uh, setup up still. And um, I think um, the vested interests, commercial vested interests in publishing are also huge and and we all defend our own patch, however much we might say we don't. Um, I think journals, you know, we all, certainly speaking for the BMJ, we want to advocate for transparency. We have to be very uh, alert to our own contributions to lack of transparency. and, you know, pre-publication peer review, is that a good thing? I, I continue to think it is a good thing, that we need to have mm-hmm. that. Um, but there are people who argue that that in itself block to pull transparency. Peer review is very flawed and slow and all the things we know about. Um, as for the kind of drug regulatory process and where the uh, information sits and who has access to it, I am of the view that that must be much, much, much more transparent and um, that I don't get where the commercial interest sits, the, the commercial interest is in the, the molecule, That that's where the the, the, the value sits, sits, the actual evidence base as to whether that molecule is effective, um, I think should absolutely be in the public domain. And um, I think in the long run, the studies that prove or don't prove that that molecule is effective shouldn't be published in journals at all. They should be on open access databases. The whole credit Mm -hmm. system for academics needs to then move to owning a data set or owning, in inverted commas, a data set and and, um, making that maximally transparent for other people to look at and use. And um, journals' role would be to come in and sort of do a secondary Uh, look and say, this is relevant to this audience, this is relevant to this audience, this is good, this is not so good. Um, So I think think that that would be where we need to get to, and you could Mm -hmm. say, why is the BMJ not doing that? Well, uh, the BMJ is not doing that because our publishing model requires us to have a subscription base, and that depends on libraries buying our stuff, and we have you know, the whole way in which um, the research exercise um, exists that the the BMJ is as bound up with that as as any other journal. So let's just
1: think I'm interested in developing evidence-based leaders of tomorrow. I'm sure you're interested in how do people do research somewhere and if you had one piece of advice for somebody young who was in the field of healthcare was thinking about submitting to your journal or being an editor, what would that piece of advice be?
0: I think um, follow your gut, do what you like, do what you enjoy doing, try to um, seek out good interesting people who are doing things you admire and um, work with them in any way you can. Um, move around country to country if possible, certainly different, different areas of um, endeavour. Uh, you're going to need to learn to write, you're going to need to learn to present, you're going to need to learn to um, do statistics and critical appraisal, so those are kind of basic skills. Um, and have fun because uh, there's nothing worse than being involved in a a career that you don't enjoy well look
1: that's excellent you've talked about research integrity you've told me to follow me up (laughs) you've told us to learn to write to connect and basically it's it's all an accident at the end of the day thank you very much Fiona Godler.
0: thank you Carl super thank you for listening to Trust the Evidence if you liked this episode and would like to subscribe to our podcast please visit www.cebm.net or find us on SoundCloud and iTunes by searching Trust the Evidence. See you next time.